Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're talking about dealing with family and visitors. When it comes to pregnancy, birth choices, and baby care, everyone seems to have an opinion. So what happens when your choices don't line up with the preferences of those who surround you and may even be involved in the care of your baby? Kate Terza tells us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by my postpartum preparation online course, the only class that truly explains why the first weeks are so hard and what you can do about it. Structured in a fun and evidence-based manner, this course will help you discover the mighty parent within and actually enjoy life with your newborn. Go to postpartumvacation.com right now to learn more. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty mamas and mamas-to-be and mighty dads and dads-to-be. As always, thank you so, so much for listening to the show and all the love you give it. Thank you for your comments, your requests, and of course, your reviews, since those help get the show in, even f in front of even more parents. So if you enjoy what you hear, then please, please, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, even if that's not how you usually listen to it. That really does help. All right, before we get into the show, I want to give you a last call for my upcoming postpartum preparation classes. Classes start May 25th, which means that if you're listening to the to this episode on the day of its release, then classes start tomorrow. If you were meaning to register, pause this episode immediately and go do that right now at postpartumvacation.com before you get left out. This five-week course is the most amazing resource to help you get ready for life with a new baby and discover the mighty parent within you. It makes sure that you and your partner are communicating and on the same page and also make sure you don't get lost in the process of becoming a parent. So all that happens from the comfort of your own home. Your own home. You can follow along with us or take it at your own pace. And best of all is you can always go back to review the content whenever, wherever you want, including after baby arrives because you'll have life time access. So go to postpartumvacation.com to learn more and to register. I cannot wait to see you in class. All right. Today's show is inspired by one of those listener requests that I get. Abigail wrote in recently with lots of great topic requests to help her prepare for before and during early pregnancy. So she's not quite pregnant yet, but maybe she is by now. But one of the concerns she had was how to politely inform family members of her plans and field questions and concerns, given that her wishes will most likely not line up with what they would do. And so today we're going to be talking about how you can have these discussions along with how to make the most of your visitors right after the birth and for the weeks that follow. So to help us do that, we have Kate Tursa here on the show to talk to me about just that. So Kate, welcome. So happy to have you on the show. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Happy to have you here to talk about this, you know, helping with visitors and people because that seems to be, it, 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 it's such an important topic. That isn't necessarily so com so complicated, but it can be really awkward. It can be extremely awkward, no doubt. And then adding into all of your wonderful hormones in pregnancy and postpartum, in addition to having to deal with 
all these people saying things and visitors and needing help and all that stuff definitely gives an added little fun factor to navigating it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I figured we could tackle this in, you know, sort of a timeline period, talking a little bit about how to how to prepare or start setting up, you know, the tone during pregnancy for these these interactions and then get more specific to postpartum. Um, and I know that postpartum, that pregnancy is not so much your wheelhouse that you're more postpartum, but I know we can navigate this. We can figure this out between the two of us. <laughs> Sounds good. So, so you heard Abigail's. Um, her question and concern was she wanted to know how to politely inform family members of her plans, even though she's not pregnant yet. But she's anticipating a lot of pushback when she reveals that she doesn't want a highly medicalized birth. So. In that sense, I think what we should tackle first is that during the pregnancy, what are some suggestions in how to talk to friends and family members that may not support or understand your choices? What do you think? I think um, this is this is a great question. It's definitely something to think about during pregnancy. Um, I definitely think you need to identify those that you're going to have pushback from. And there's no reason why you need to tell everybody right away what you're planning um, and maybe have a, a separate list of people that you feel like you may need some extra support in discussing your decisions with. And I would enlist the help if you're going to hire a doula or a midwife. Maybe have the intimate people that are in your life, your support persons. Maybe it's your parents or whoever that may be. Meet with them. I've definitely interacted with moms that they've done this in the past. And it seems to help the people that aren't 100% behind you in the beginning to kind of see things a little bit differently and maybe come around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I find that even having, knowing that you're going to have pushback, just sort of nipping in the bud first, like going up to them and saying, hey, I wanted to talk to you because I we've sort of, I've thought and researched and really considered the way I want the birth of my child to go. And I wanted to let you know that this is what I'm thinking. And it, I know that everybody does things differently. And maybe this is not how you would do it. But I want you to know that I've put a lot of thought into this. And I would love for you to support me. This. Yeah. And I think that the people that truly do love you and support you will will come around. They may have a little they may be worried just because they don't know. I mean, I think there's always some worry when you're not familiar with something, when it's new to you. But once they start thinking about it, maybe you present them with some research or some articles they can read. If they're, if that you think that would help, I think that that may help your case so that it's not just you going against what they think you should do. Mm-hmm. And I think it, in, in this case, like Abigail's case, where the family members are in the medical field, and she she's concerned that the discussion is going to make her feel less than because, mm. you know, medical people know more. But remembering that birth is a physiological process. It's not a medical emergency. You are not sick. It's right. It's normal. Right. It's natural. Um, so maybe even addressing that to an extent in the conversation, saying something like, you know, I, I and, and, and I like the your idea of 
having research in, to show them, like in, in, from the medical community, right? From ACOG, right? right. Um, <laughs> yeah, ACOG. You know, point them to the to the episode I did a few weeks ago with Sharon Muja on uh, on ACOG's new guidelines for less interventions during birth. Um, that's a great one, right? Because it comes from ACOG, uh, yeah. but also to say. You know, and I know that birth is unexpected and it may not go the way that I, I'm hoping it will. And if it doesn't and I do end up needing, you know, all this medical interventions, I hope that you will be supportive and empathetic of that. Because yeah. what scares me is the, you know, the whole that grumble the whole time through of like, we don't like what she's doing. And at the end, if it happens to be that she needs some medical interventions or ends up with a cesarean, then there's like this tone of I told you so. Yeah. And that's not helpful to anybody in the end, especially once you're navigating um, your birth and afterwards in the postpartum, for sure. No, there's enough guilt already <laughs> built <Yes>. into postpartum. <laughs> we don't need to just have more stuff making us feel bad. <laughs> Please, no. Uh, okay, so let's fast forward to the actual birth. Anything listeners should keep in mind when deciding who to have present during the birth? Mm, this is a good one. I think it would just be, you really would have to think about during a pregnancy who you feel comfortable with and maybe understanding you want a certain, maybe you want your mom there, but you know, she may not be a hundred percent, but maybe she's the one in the medical field and you think that there would be pushback if she's in the room with you. Then I think that you have a conversation with her ahead of time. If it's, if emotionally you want her there, maybe you talk to her and say, can you please, I'd like you to be present, but I need you to be my mom, not, the medical professional and see if that's something that you think can work in that relationship. Um, and I think just really understanding that birth almost never goes as planned, even if you've done it before, it never turns out exactly the same. And to give yourself some leeway when planning on who's going to be in the room, really think about all the different options of things that may happen and kind of put each person in those scenarios and see if you think they're going to be supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do like a, a mental run through of, of right. case scenarios. Yeah, yeah, I think that would that definitely would be helpful for me. I know I I only had my partner in the room with me because that was important to us, and that was who I knew would just be there for me. And it was something we needed to do together. But I thought about that long and hard. Like I thought about, even though I wanted my mom there as an emotional support, I knew that this was something that my partner and I were going to do together. And I think that she understood that. And it was okay. Yeah. I think it's also helpful to consider why you want that person there. Like, is it because you want the support and they're going to be helpful to you? Or is it because they want to be there and you feel guilty or don't know how to say, I'd rather you not be there. Yeah. Oh, and if it's the second, you definitely need to put your foot down. If there's an even inkling of, well, they really want to be there for the birth of whoever, you, then that's not that's not who needs to be in the room with you. They can be waiting in the waiting room and come as, whenever you feel is appropriate for them to come afterwards. Yeah. And, and even if they're waiting in the waiting room, 
that doesn't mean they can't wait more. Like, it doesn't mean yeah. that the minute the baby's born, they can right. come right in. You you know, no. they can no. still wait more whenever you're ready. Yeah, it's your it's your experience. You need to be in control. And that includes having other people in the room. Mm-hmm. I would also suggest, even if you are super 100% on board that you want your mom, your sister, your in-law, whoever it is you want in there with you, to have a plan B, have a conversation mm. with them, an out, like like plan it ahead of time saying, I really want you here, but during, I might change my mind during the actual yeah. birth. I think that that is definitely a great suggestion because as a mom of three, my <laughs> labor lands a real thing. And there are things that you want during labor that you didn't think you would want. There are things that you don't want labor that you thought you would want. <laughs> And giving yourself that leeway to make the decision once you're in labor is really going to be helpful. Yeah. And part of that support you need, right? That flexibility yeah. that birth yeah. asks of you. Absolutely. Yeah. And and can it, and it also can be tough for for the moms or the, you know, as, a, as somebody in the birth, you may think, oh, I definitely, you want me there. I'm definitely going to be there. But it's a very intense and intimate experience. And that's going to, if you've had children, it probably will trigger her stuff. It will bring stuff up for you too. So, right. you know, are you going to be okay processing that at the same mm -hmm. time? Or or can you just be supportive? Like that's, it's not just a, a whimsical decision here. Yeah, I know this is something that requires a lot of thought because birth is unique to all of us. And as a woman, especially, I think if it's just trying to figure out the best way to word this, as a, especially as a woman or even as another person who has experienced someone giving birth, that, like you said, can trigger things that may not be helpful to your situation, the person who's actually giving birth. And I think that that, I mean, that's why doulas are trained the way they are. And I think that it's so important to have a doula, um, a birth doula is because they are able to support you without any of the other, their other stuff. And I yeah. think it could be hard for loved ones to not have the other stuff and just be supportive of you as you're birthing. And yeah, and it's really hard because if it's like, say, your mom, they, as a mom, you know how hard it is to see your children be in pain. Yes. Birth yes. hurts. <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not a pleasant, <laughs> well, pleasant's the wrong word. It's, yeah, it hurts. It's painful. Yeah, which is not a bad thing. I mean, just, no, it is what no, it no. is, but yeah. it does hurt. Yeah, it's not comfortable. No. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it that way. So there's that added layer of them sitting in the corner going, uh, my daughter is in pain and I can't right. do anything about it. And then like, cause that happened to me, actually, my mom was in the room and she was, I was really loud, which was just what I needed to do. It was my coping right. mechanism. Right. So I was loud, but she kind of had a very different birth experiences with my, my, me and my and my brother and my sister so at a point at one point I remember being concerned about her because she was I could feel that she was having a hard time with me being loud <laughs> yeah yeah because she's 
thinking about what she was going through and what, yeah. No. And then, and, and you're in labor and you shouldn't have, that shouldn't be something that you were processing right. at that time. And that can add another stressor to yeah. the situation. Like, yeah. So definitely consider that. Do I like your scenarios of running through what, you know, what would, <laughs> what would this person do under these circumstances? Yeah. Yeah. Even, and if there's a couple of people, I mean, even I'm a list maker, so I would just make a list of like, all the different scenarios and then just go through and write jot down what how you think everybody would react to the people that you would you're thinking about having in the room and if it's something minor that you think you can talk to them about that situation that particular scenario then i would have that conversation with them ahead of time before making the final decision mm-hmm. on if they can be in the room or not awesome i love it so <laughs> Let's move forward a little bit. Baby yes. was just born. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then you have the rest of your hospital stay if oh. your birth, birth center is a little shorter. But um, any suggestion on managing visitors then? Um, I, I would say no visitors. <laughs> but I think that if you have a supportive partner, whoever that may be, your partner, your husband, your boyfriend, whatever, um, they are in charge of being the gatekeeper here so that you can spend time. Most of us are trying to navigate breastfeeding and that's can be kind of nerve wracking and having people in the room for the first time you're trying that is not ideal. And so I say, put your partner, whoever it is. And if that's your mom, it doesn't matter. Whoever is your support parenting partner, they're in charge of saying yes or no to people coming in. And I think that's also something you have to talk about during your pregnancy on who you're you're okay with having come into the room um, postpartum and at what point you would be comfortable with them coming in postpartum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I, I, I you've got the situation, right, where you and, and that leads me to my next question of like when to tell people <laughs> that right. you're in labor. <laughs> because some people are like Okay, you're in labor. I run to the to the hospital, and I'm going to sit in that waiting room for as long as it takes. Right, which is not helpful to the laboring mama. Well, at and all. and she may or may not be concerned about it, right? Because she's in labor land. You know, they're not in the room. She might go deep into her own process. But if it's an induction, or it might take days. Like I've right. ha- I've seen families camp out. In, la- in 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 the waiting rooms for 24 hours playing cards and doing oh stuff which might be like a really good experience for them i don't know I, you know i don't I, it, there is the possibility of everything um, right and but you know i think about let's discuss those possibilities and see how they they unfold because really if they're going to be helpful visitors you want them well rested and well fed. Yes. To help you afterwards. Yes. And I think that um, another, uh, again, with the list, but of the people that you want to notify that you're either in labor or you've had the baby, you need to make a list of when, when you're going to do that ahead of time during pregnancy and work through it with your partner. But okay, say, okay, I'm in early labor, we're thinking we're going to call our birth professional, okay, who else am I going to call at this point or tell at this point? 
okay, I'm going to, if you're going to the hospital or birth center, if you're leaving your house for the birth and you're getting admitted, okay, who am I calling now? Or who am I texting now? And then kind of as have like milestones. And then if you're going to contact anybody at those. Yeah. And who you're going to contact. Yeah, absolutely. And when are you going to even like decide to do social media or not? Right, right. I mean, yes, exactly. And it's something you have to work through with whoever is supporting you. And if that includes people, other people than your partner who are in the room with you, whoever, you have to all be on the same page, especially with social media, um, so that someone's not, you know, spilling the beans Mm -hmm. before you're ready for that. And as the mom, you should be, you're in the driver's seat. You yeah. need to decide when it's okay. It's yours to tell. Nobody else's. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing with like saying, oh, I'm in labor going to the hospital right now or I'm in labor in, on social media, I find that that might be done sort of on the whim and it should also be a quite a thought out consideration because once you do that, you have all these people who you may or may like if it's a to the public right right all these people asking how's it going is baby there yet like they want they care so they want to check in but then you might have that level of pressure that you might unwanted maybe um of if for some reason labor became longer than what you thought it was going to be or didn't go as planned and you don't want to talk about it and there people are you know contacting you about how, how is the birth? Because, I mean, I think every birthing mom always likes to hear other birth stories. And if you're not ready to tell it, then you're not ready to tell it. Yeah. And I, I want to go back to your initial reply of visitors or no visitors in the hospital, because I didn't mean to just just skim through that. I think no visitors is yeah. a very... I think we should bring that out as a possibility because it's not something that's very often considered. Like you don't think, okay, I'm not going to have anybody visit me at the hospital and people, especially close family, can't wait to go visit you at the hospital. And it's kind of a understood tradition of people are going to come. So let's go back to the no visitors. Why is that a good idea? Oh, the no visitors. I... With my third, I had with my first child, you know, you have like everybody and their mother comes <laughs> to meet your your baby. And with my third, it was very minimal and it was amazing. My nursing to get your nursing relationship off to a good start, you need to be able to be comfortable just taking your t- you know, really learning your baby and figuring out the latch and then I'm sorry, but recovery, whether you have a vaginal birth or a C-section, it's not necessarily pretty. Um, so you may not be comfortable. And then having to, quote unquote, entertain people while you're trying to get this baby to nurse, while your body is, you know, doing things or feeling ways you didn't, haven't felt before, it's not, it's, it's not, you shouldn't have to be entertaining people at that point. Yeah. And and it does affect your your tuning into your baby and right. and because if like, you know, babies give very clear hunger cues and sleepy cues, right? And if baby's being passed around and being held by other mm-hmm. people, then 
you and and they're doing their early cues, you are missing those. So yes. it they may breastfeed less and eat and and and, and uh, sleep less during that visiting time that first day, just because they were also more overstimulated. Like for babies, everything's exciting. So just right. suddenly being held by. 15, 20 people and all the scents and all the smells and different lights and different voices. And that is overwhelming. Yeah. And then think about, I mean, the best way to start your breastfeeding relationship is the skin to skin. And you have to think about, you just want to hold that baby so that you learn each other and that bonding starts. And then you can learn that. I mean, the nursing for me, the nursing relationship is just so, so important in those early days. And it's really hard to get it to, to the for nursing to work mm-hmm. really well and it's hard to do that especially as a first time mom doing it you've never done it before you don't know what you're doing and then have people that you may not be comfortable just kind of like whipping your breasts out or ha- being topless holding your baby skin to skin you know while you guys are working on that nursing relationship that's not fair to you either let alone your baby yeah and and if the baby is like overstimulated and not getting enough food during the day, then what's going to happen is baby still needs that. So they're going to look for it at night. And yeah. then that night can be that first night when everybody leaves and no visitors are around can be really hard for you guys. Because yeah, baby, after, then, yeah. And you're just finished laboring, most likely, which, you know, you could have been up the night before. So you're really just the exhaustion level. I really, the first day needs to be just you and your baby and your partner. Yeah. And it, it's not us being mean. Like, I hear this a lot from, yeah. right? It's, I hear it a lot, the same story that you were saying. Like, doula clients that first time around have visitors. Second time, they're like, nope, nobody shows up. Yep. It's, and it's, it's okay. Everybody saw, everybody met the baby when it, I was okay with it. And I never heard a negative No one ever said to me, I should have come to the hospital. Like I just, and I remember, I remember the first time around I was overstimulated, let alone my baby. And it was very nerve. It was just too nerve wracking for me, which is why we didn't do it again. (laughs) Yeah. I would say if you're looking to have visitors in the hospital, then do like visiting hours and just set a very short window where people can come. And then if that. Yeah. And I, um, after my first, the second and third time around, if you came, you brought me food that I specifically asked for. Yes. Um, so it was centered around lunch or dinner or whatever, but they brought me take like whatever food I wanted that day. And I would send out texts. <laughs> and it That's... worked. And then they, they stayed. They helped me. They held the baby while I ate. Mm-hmm. And then I got the baby back and we, and I got a good food. I love that. That's a great idea. That's a right? great way to compromise. Perfect. And you got you weren't eating hospital food. Yay. Yeah, I never ate. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't need that. You need good food to get you back, you know, your milk supply and all that good stuff and your recovery. You need good, good, good food. Yeah. So that like puts us right at the gate to speak about the postpartum stuff and making your visitors helpers, not visitors. So but before we jump into that, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back with that. If you are pregnant or running after little ones, chances are you are exhausted. 
getting enough sleep during this time of life is practically impossible, so it's crucial to make the most of the precious sleeps you're getting. Reverie Power Beds can help you do just that by creating a super comfortable space for you to cocoon into. Thanks to the massage feature of my Reverie Power Bed, I've started this bedtime routine where I hit the massage setting for 10 minutes before I fall asleep, you know, for before bed. And if I fall asleep during the massage, then I don't have to worry about it staying on for too long because it automatically shuts down. The massage feature is such a glorious option that my daughter now gets the bed ready for us for our pre-time for pre-bedtime reading routine by adjusting the back of the bed to a comfortable position, then she lifts the feet up a little bit and then she hits the massage setting for the lower part of the bed only. That way I can read without my voice vibrating and she gets so relaxed. It is a cinch for her to go to sleep afterwards even if that means having to go from my room to her own bed to get to sleep. You know how your bedroom becomes your home base. Make it as comfortable as you can with a Reverie Power Bed. Go to momsneedsleep.com slash birthful to learn more. And don't forget to add the slash birthful part so they know who sent you. And we're back talking to Kate Tursa about how to make family and friends helpful during the postpartum and, and pregnancy and birth, how to make them really helpful people instead of just visitors. So let's get to the meat of it with the postpartum period. How can visitors be of most help? Well, like you said, they shouldn't be visitors. They should be helpers. This is something that you should think about when you're pregnant um, because postpartum, you're not going to have the time to think about it. But during your pregnancy, I suggest that you and your parenting partner, whoever that may be, you go through all the people you think might want to come and visit in the first, let's say, six weeks, but especially those first two weeks, I would say. all You list everybody out. And then you decide between the two of you who you're truly comfortable having at the, at that time period come into your house. Once you've made that list, which should be smaller, once you have these, this core group of people, you have to identify if they're going to be willing to do help you around the house, not just come and plop down. And my, um, what I like to tell people is if you have to clean for someone who's coming over, they're not, they should not be coming to your house. Like if you feel like you have to pick up your house, they should not be coming. That's mm-hmm. my, um, that's your <laughs> that's litmus my, test. Like, yeah. Like yeah. my delineation, right? Like if you're cleaning for that person or picking stuff up, no, they're not coming. But if you're comfortable having that person come into your home, then, um, then that's where you go from there. So you make the list during your pregnancy with your partner and you list the people that you're, you're you want to be able to come or you're willing to let come into your house. And then I like to list all your practical chores of things that they can do when they're at your house. And this can include grocery shopping. This can include doing laundry. This can include dog walking. If you have older children or siblings already, you can have them take them to the park for a little bit because truly most people that want to come and visit want to feel helpful I mean, they feel like they don't want to just come and sit on your couch. They want to help you make this transition. So coming up with a list of things that you feel comfortable with them doing is really helpful for them. And you can keep that list on your fridge. I mean, whatever. Or you can have specific, like my mom, I know she'll like to do laundry. That's something she can do. She could even come and pick up your laundry, take it home and bring it back. Fold. I mean, I mean, we could get really crazy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, have a grocery list. 
of staple things that you always get at the grocery store. And so your partner can know, okay, we need these, this, this, and this, when because he opened the fridge and he saw that you didn't have it. Then he's in charge or she's in charge of telling your visitor, hey, on your way, can you stop and get these three things? But as the postpartum mom, you didn't have to think about it because you it's already something you have thought about. Your partner has guidelines of what they should be looking for, and then they, they're they the ones, the partner should be the ones, if they're still home, of course, giving, doling out the um, the things that your visitors should be doing when they're mm, I love that idea. Coming. Yeah. I love the fridge list, and I love <laughs> taking it one step further with the groceries list and having yeah. it be an automatic process that you don't even have to think about that your partner's in charge of or whoever is going to be like serving that same um function as gatekeeper right yeah yeah you don't need i mean in a couple weeks maybe you'll be like oh maybe i want this and you'll start to think about it but in those initial first two weeks you need to not be thinking about maintaining your household that needs to be handed off to somebody else and most of the time your support people will gladly since you're the one most of us are nursing and we can't really do much else but our partners can't do that and they they some of them feel helpless not knowing how to help but if you give them clear lists and guidelines then they know how they can be of help and then they can dole out those responsibilities to your visitors so that everybody feels like they're helping you out mhm other ideas for asking for help because I know that for a lot of people that including myself asking for specific yeah. help can be difficult so do you have some other favorite strategies for approaching that yeah so it, it definitely is hard to ask for help I sometimes still have that and I think that just as women we're kind of in this culture where we should be able to do a lot of it ourselves and um in a postpartum, you need to be able to just relinquish that responsibility just for a little bit. It doesn't have to be forever, just for a little bit. And I think you kind of have to work through that yourself first so that you're feeling comfortable asking for help. But I really think you and your partner need to talk about it. And maybe your partner be the one who asks for help and not you. And if your partner can be the one to suggest to you that, hey, my mom's coming. She's going to take laundry. So it's not something that you feel guilty. Oh, I didn't get to do my laundry because I'm you know, home with a new baby and I just birthed this baby. So I really, I really put a lot on the partner and take less off your plate. And that's something that you guys need to talk about um, during the pregnancy for sure. Mm. I, I really appreciate that idea of concentric circles of the babies in the middle and you are the, you know, that prime primary caregiver of the baby just because of how the breastfeeding relationship is set up, right? And right. then having the partner be the next circle over where he, she is in charge of protecting the space and keeping you guys, of guarding your, you and keeping you safe and providing for you, right? right? And then those circles keep extending where you end up with like the biggest circles, all your community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also um, during prenatally, finding out what kind of support there is in the community. I'm a big fan of like mom or breastfeeding support groups because sometimes it can be very isolating in the first couple of weeks. And just having someone who recently got, went through it 
that may or may not be a stranger to you say, oh yeah, been there, done that. In hindsight, I wish I asked for help. Having someone remind you that it's okay can be really helpful. Mm, huge. Huge. Yeah. So, and sometimes you can even find groups like that on Facebook. I mean, Facebook has turned into this amazing, can be an amazing resource, but you can find a closed group where you really can, you know, be, be vulnerable. And I bet in hindsight, someone will say, Oh, I, I was there two weeks ago. Mm, have someone help you through this because it gets better, but that was really rough for me. And I think just reaching out to your community, your bigger community, whether that be on Facebook or actually in person can be also really helpful in getting rid of that guilt of then asking for the help. Yeah. And I always found it really helpful for me to have, like I had a little pregnancy mentor, which is to say it was a friend who was pregnant mm -hmm. just like four weeks ahead of me. Yeah. So she was hitting all the milestones just so, so it was very fresh in her mind, right? Yes. But she was ahead enough that we weren't going at it together. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what should I do now? So yeah, find your pregnancy mentor. Yes, yes. And like I said, that can be, and sometimes if you're lucky enough to have a doula or um, childbirth educator, sometimes you can meet those people through them. Um, but sometimes it can be a little more difficult. But to find someone who's, gone through it recently, but a little ahead of you so that you can ask them questions and just, they be your emotional support. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I think the next hurdle in this whole process is when, which tends to usually be the case where partners go back to work before mm -hmm. moms do. Um, what should people take into account then and what prepare, like what are some good ways to prepare for when that happens? I definitely think meal planning is a big thing. Um, there are different, you can do meal train. There's another um, meal train you can do online. It's great. And then people can sign up and that way it's all. But if you have a meal train going so people can drop off food now that your partner is back, not providing, not may not be able to provide food for you during the day, having a meal train, having people drop off frozen food, anything just to keep you so you don't have to think about that is really helpful. I also think going back to the mom group of finding something somewhere where you can get support in the middle of the day, whether that be um, Facebook or going to an actual group once a week, once a month. But I think having those two things and also having people check in with you during the day on um, people that you're truly feel comfortable with. They don't have to stop by, but just calling or sending a text just to see how you're doing, because it can be pretty isolating and pretty lonely when you're alone with a newborn. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people get that so much. I, I no. like to, yeah, I like to call it the postpart. It's the pregnancy hangover. Yeah. Because like during, <laughs> it's a pregnancy hangover. Because before that, everything's about you. Yeah. Like you are glowing, you are glorious, you're carrying life. People want to like touch your belly. Oh, what can I do for you? They give your seats up, hopefully, <laughs> in the right. bus, right? And then baby's out. It's like, okay, see ya. You're on your yeah. own. Bye, have fun nursing. And, you know, all the other glorious things about having a baby that you don't really think are going to happen is intensely as they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I really think having someone check in up with you daily, um, whether or not that's your partner, 
but also having another person that um, you know you can call if your partner's unable to come home, like if there's something that you, you just can't be alone with your baby and you really need help, someone else that you can call other than your partner if your partner's unable to leave work. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this can be, I this could be a neighbor, anybody. They don't need to know necessarily why you're calling them if there's something, but just just having a person be able to come to your house. Absolutely. And knowing who that is. I think that that can be really helpful once your partner goes back to work because I the for me the isolation and the monotony of taking care of a newborn can be really taxing. And sometimes you just need someone to come by to break it up and then it's okay. And that could be a really good time to get, you know, go, if you need professional help, you don't have that neighbor, then a postpartum doula can be super, super helpful. Yeah. And actually a postpartum doula, um, again, I'm saying the, the groups, different groups, even, um, like a meetup group, something, just anything, just going for a walk with a neighbor. I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot, but I think a postpartum deal would be fantastic, especially if your partner is going back fairly quickly, which unfortunately seems to be the case. Um, and that way she can kind of help help do all that other stuff that your partner was doing. She can be the gatekeeper of the visitors. She can be doing the practical chores around the house. She can be taking the baby so that you can get a little rest. I mean, that's all stuff that postpartum deals do. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, talk to you so it's not as, yes. as isolating and yes. help you with breastfeeding. and yes. yeah, Yeah. Yes. All that great stuff. They are fantastic. <laughs> Love it. No. Yes. I know. I know. That that should be on everybody's list. The birth doula and oh. a postpartum doula. And we're not just saying that because we are. No. No. And I look back. I didn't have a postpartum doula. It was mine. And man, man, would it have been different <laughs> right? if I had... I didn't even know they existed and this is three years ago now, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know they were a thing and man, did I wish they were. (laughs) Mm. (sighs) That's how we learn. I didn't have a birth doula. So (sighs) there you go. Right now, now, look at where we are now. (laughs) Now I want to talk back to, to managing those visitors, those helpers. What can you do about family members that you don't get along great with? You know, now it's not the birth. Now it's not the hospital stay. Now it's, you know, they just want to visit. What do you do with those? Okay. So I say you first, you make sure your partner is going to be home. You don't have people that you have to clean your house for if your partner is not home. Um, Just because again, the gatekeeper, if things start to go south during the visit, then that person is there to say, oh, she has to go feed the baby. And guess what? Then you go escape (laughs) and you feed the baby or whatever. But you really need to set aside special time for those visitors that you have to clean your house for. Maybe it's a Sunday afternoon for they, they can come over for a half an hour from one to whatever. And you and your partner have talked about how you want the visit to go that you have an out, um, hey, she's got to go nurse the baby, and maybe that's their cue to leave. Any That really needs to be discussed before they come over because you can always say no. And I really would say suggest putting it off a couple of weeks, even though some family members are very persistent. Um, but I would suggest really knowing 
not saying yes until you're really ready for them to come over and that your partner is ready for them to come over and to have that out. What about, and this is a difficult question, but what about if those people you don't get along great is like mm. your out-of-town mm. in-laws or, or your own mom and dad that are coming right away and right. to stay four days in your house? In your house. Well, first of all, you should not have people staying over in your house. That's my rule. <laughs> you should not have people that you feel are not going to be helpful staying in your house with you. And I know that can be a difficult thing to tell certain people, and it may have some pushback, but it's something that you need to tell them during your pregnancy. That you don't know how things are going to be. You're not sure how you're going to feel. You really would like them to come, but you want them to stay. You'll, you'll even offer to maybe put them up somewhere or say, I have a friend who you know, is go has a room that you can use that lives down the road. I really deter new moms from having people that are unsupportive stay in their house. That would be my first suggestion. Mm -hmm. And I like that variation just because, okay, they're coming, but they're just not with you 24 seven. So you right. do get a breather. Right. And then you can set up, like I said before, you can set up specific times where they're allowed to come to your house or there, or you give them the list of things you want them to do. Because if you give them a list of chores and, um, you know, going to the grocery store, I mean, they're, they're going to feel like they're helping you and they were there for you, but maybe they're not actually in your space with you mm -hmm. also and be very helpful. But yeah, I definitely would suggest not having people stay with you postpartum. And that can be more than two weeks. I mean, I'm talking the first, I don't think I had anybody stay with me for the first five or six months. Yeah, and I think that's a, I mean, that's a good consideration on, on figuring out the timeline, right? Because right. maybe it's they want to come and meet the baby right right away, but you know you can say, well, we have no idea when this baby's going to be born, and you have to buy plane tickets. So how right. about right? How about we know the baby's going to be here at blah blah blah, uh, but maybe um, we definitely know six weeks after the due date or whatever. I mean, you can do whatever timeline they'll be here. Why don't we plan a visit for them? And that way, whoever can take time off work, and then you figure out where they're going to stay. Mm -hmm. and, and and it's important to note that that postpartum period, I mean, we all go back to work too soon. Much too soon. Not, I guess not all, but most of us. Because even this sucky 12-week unpaid leave that we have yeah. is too right. short. Much too short. Um, and there's not just me and Kate saying this here. There's plenty of statistics and right. research to back it up. Right. Um, but ideally, like it's not called the fourth trimester for nothing. That's three months right. before you start feeling kind of you've got your bearings. Right. And I really think you need to respect that. And I think you also need to respect if any if you make plans before the baby comes for visitors or for certain people to help. And then when it comes, push comes to shove, you need to be okay saying no if it if you really don't feel like it's going to be helpful for you. And that's okay. And to know that that's okay and really truly taking care of yourself so then you can take care of your baby is your number one priority. Mm, absolutely. If mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Exactly. And you need to, you know, you start right away. Don't Don't wait five years to figure this out. Yeah, oh, right from the get-go. And that's parenting. Like, that's your yeah. first parenting decision right there. Right, right. And parenting decisions can stink. 
and they can make other people feel uncomfortable. But it's you really have to be in tune with who you are, who your partner is, and how you're taking care of your baby. Yeah. And I think just just accepting that challenge, just like going up right. to meet it is huge because it's part of that transformation and that that's happening in you of becoming a parent. Because up till your first child is born, mom and dad were always your parents, not right. you. Right. Yes. So just taking on that title and owning it and not having it be weird, it requires some processing. <laughs> yeah. For both, for all parties. I mean, now your parents are seeing you as a parent, which is something they've never seen before or experienced before as well. So everybody needs to give everybody some grace. Mm-hmm. You need to give yourself grace. They need to give you grace. You need to give that, you know, everybody, it's a learning something that you have to learn. This is a new relationship. You need to learn it. Yeah. So in that same vein, how do you communicate? How do you, do you, you know, st- not stand up, but yes. Right. I'm not saying stand up, but I yeah. am. To yeah. like those visitors, whether it's all family or not, and usually family members tend to be a little bit more, they feel they can just say these things to you where a stranger might not be so forthright right but where the way they parented is different from the way you're parenting and they're saying things like we used to say do this this way or you shouldn't do that or you should do it this way what what do we do with these people oh goodness what do you do with those people um i think first you have to be diplomatic and i think that they need to be validated you don't have to agree with them i'm not saying you have to agree with them but you kind of do the Oh, yeah, like that's the way, you know, research has come out. But yes, I agree with you back. You did the best you could with what you knew, blah, blah, blah. And now this is the way we're doing it because, you know, this is suggested by, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, you know, breastfeeding is a big one. Some people, you know, we didn't do that when our generation is kind of the first of most moms breastfeeding. And so sometimes that can be really hard to talk with your parents or your in-laws about. And I mean, there's tons of research backing that up, sleeping, different sleeping arrangements, you know, all these different things that we're doing differently. I think the first thing you should do is be, you have to understand that they're coming from a place, most, I shouldn't say all, but most people are coming just from a place of love because they, that's what they know. So they can help you along with that versus something they've never done before. Then they're at a loss. They can't give you any advice. So it's, I think most of the time it's coming out of love. Secondly, it's also sometimes, especially if it's the mom, it can be a little bit of guilt written, like, well, I didn't do it that way. You should do it my way. And I think you just have to be diplomatic about it and respect the way they're feeling, but you have to be firm in your decision without being, without putting them down necessarily, but just be firm. Like, okay, I understand you did that, but this is what we're going to try. And use the word try. That'll make them feel a little less. Um, confrontational I feel like try is a good word Mm. yeah I like try and and because sometimes it can get you know back to that thought and what you were mentioning about them feeling guilty because the phrase that comes out a lot is like oh we you know put baby to sleep on their belly and they came out just fine that whole they were just fine (laughs) that's a tough phrase to to follow right and I think that you're never, you're not going to be able to one up them necessarily or to reason with them once that 
that's thrown out there. But I think if you validate like, yes, you did that. And yes, I'm okay. Or my partner, whoever they're talking about, it turned out okay. But we've learned some other things. And it's actually better now that we have, you know, this research backing it up, that babies sleep on their back instead. Um, And I think, again, going back to if there if it's a stance that you're taking, because there's research to back it up, ACOG or the American Academy of Pediatrics, all those things. I throw it out there. Tell them that. You know, don't don't not use research if that's part of your decision making. Don't not tell them that mm-hmm. because I think that that's pretty powerful too. And what if they are part? I'm just keeping going down different right, scenarios, right? right? We're right. just doing more scenarios. <laughs> what if you have a situation where baby's a little older, or maybe not so much, um, but it's you have a family member uh, or really good friends or whatever that can, as baby gets older, they can watch the baby for a while, so you can maybe go on a date, um, right. or or you had to go back to work, and it is you know your three days a week your baby's with your mom mm-hmm. and you have a situation where what they do with the baby while taking care of baby is not really something that works for you right um that's first of all it's very difficult i think that's something that need you really need to think about before you agree to whomever is going to watch your child it can be a day it doesn't have to be a really uh, someone who you have a relationship with it could be a daycare but you have you really need to think about your non-negotiables Like, what are things that you are not willing to budge on in terms of how your child is taken care of? And once you make that list, kind of that's that's your list. And we talk about it with your child care provider. And if that's someone who you love or who has raised you, you should be, if they're taking care of your child, they should be able to respect your rules. And I think that's something that you need to put out there when the decision is made that they're going to be watching your child. And that can be very difficult, but I also think your partner, whoever your partner is, it's a team. You have to go at it as a team. And often I suggest if it's your family, you're the one that presents it to them just because you know them better. And if it's your in-laws or your partner's family, they're the ones that are doing primarily doing the presentation. You're there with them to back them up, but that's kind of how I do the suggestion. Just because you each know your family members a little better. I mean, they raised you most likely. Um, you know them better and you can read them better and then maybe the conversation will go a little bit better if you're the one who's doing the talking. But I really think you have to think about your non-negotiables of childcare and how you want things to go and then have a list of things that you're, you want, you hope that they do, but if it doesn't happen that way, then it's kind of okay. And also talking to other moms who've been through it, who've had someone watch their child that is their, you know, if it's your in-laws or who or your mom or whoever, have someone who's recently gone through that and kind of, again, with our going back to our pregnancy mentor, have a, your postpartum mentor and see if they, what their suggestions are. And maybe it's something that they say, oh, you know, in a month, it's not going to be a big deal. The baby's going to outgrow that. So you know, maybe you don't, then it just gives, puts things in perspective for you of things that may not be going as you had hoped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I find that especially for first time, first time moms, as first time moms, we tend to get <laughs> very, very, very 
almost obsessive about things. Like, is that, no, that's dirty. Don't put it back in baby's mouth. No, that's, and then, you know, I didn't have a second child, but I can see it with other second or third child. But I can see it when that you, with the second time around, be like, yeah, that's fine. They'll be fine not a big deal you know and I think but and that's a learn something you're learning you know especially as a first parent like you have to honor those feelings of that if they you feel uncomfortable yeah of things that are but I really think you have to be be make a concrete list of things that are non-negotiables in your child care and what you what your expectations are for your child care and then kind of go from there and if you're look you're deciding on who to leave your baby with Take that list and do the same thing we did with the pregnancy. Go through the different people in the different scenarios. Do you think they're going to be li- be able to live up to what this expectation is? Do you think that they're going to feel you're going to respect my decision to do this? And then kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And, and it is a learning process. And you yes. can change your mind. And you can you know, do it one way and then realize, oh, that doesn't make sense right. anymore. And Okay, let's try it this other way. Right. And I think it's important to, um, like we said, with people coming in the room when you're in labor, then you're like, nope, don't want them there. It's okay to do that with whoever's watching your child or in general. It's okay to be like, you know what, this isn't working. I need to figure something else out. Um, But especially when it's someone who you have a relationship with in this case you have unfortunately diplomacy is the way to go especially if they are going to still want to have a relationship with your child yeah which adds a whole nother level of um you know it just makes it a little bit harder to have those conversations with them but if it's important to you for them to have a relationship with your child I think that that needs to be kind of your focus so if you want that relationship to continue even though childcare may not be working out you need to be very diplomatic about your conversation with them. Right. And because depending on your options, I mean, you may, sometimes it would be really hard to have to switch childcare. Right. Right. Like that's your only right. option. Yeah, so how do you it. make it work? Yeah. And I think, again, going back to the non-negotiables, you have your non-negotiables, things that you expect them to do. And then you kind of, even though the baby may be doing something differently with your child care provider, whoever that is, I'm guessing they'll still revert back to exactly what you want when you're with them. Um, just as an example, my kids, my kids were all in, um, we had different situations, but my first two were in daycare and they did, they had different nap times at daycare than they ever did at home with me. And they ate at different times and, you know, all these different things, but at home they did, did my routine and there was no, no, there was no kickback from mm-hmm. any of it. So I think just kind of remembering that, that you're, even though you're still the mom, but it's okay if some small things are done a little bit differently because that's what makes rounds us out as people as well. Yeah. And also do consider, like go back to your self-care, make sure you are prioritizing yes. your sleep and your food and yes. because this is the point in time where you're going to be crankier and less patient yes. if you're not taking care of yourself right. and that can definitely affect how you can communicate with other people yeah on top of being like because you just had a baby you're in super protective mama bear mode 
So, yeah, and yeah, go ahead. And if you've gone back to work and now you're adding the pumping and the stress of going back to work, I mean, there's so many things that go into it that it can be really hard. Um, it's definitely something that can be difficult if whoever's watching your child isn't living up to your expectations, but maybe let it sit for a little bit and make sure you're taking care of yourself and then you can look back on it. Mm -hmm. And try to go at that conversation from a place of love and cool headedness. Yes. Which is why I, I enlist partners to kind of, um, cause hopefully your partner can maybe, I'm not saying he's going to, they're going to talk you down, but just having them there will keep things in perspective. Right. And maybe a little less heated, or maybe they can do the talking also. Yeah. No. And we're not, they're not hormonal. They're not (laughs) hormonal. No, we recognize that it's a tough situation. We recognize that you're in a heated position just by the state of you. Like you should just be with your baby all the time. Right. Right. You shouldn't have to be thinking about people watching your children that aren't ideal. Like that should not be something that you have to think about because in the perfect world, you wouldn't have to go to work or you would be able to afford whoever you want or you would have family that live closer or, you know, but that unfortunately that's not right. Not it. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, take it in little steps and, and, but know that you can set ground rules and have your non-negotiable negotiables. I love that concept. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Have your non-negotiables. And I really think having someone you can talk to other than your partner to vent to can really be very helpful as well. Kate, is there anything else that you wanted to say that we didn't cover? No, I think that that's, we've covered a lot. Um, I think your point on our last question of really taking care of yourself is something that overrides all of this that we've been talking about. You really need to, as a pregnant mom, as a postpartum mom, you really do need to do what it is to take care of yourself. And that includes sleeping and eating and people should be helping you do that. And that's really the underlying message here. Mm -hmm. That can be your litmus test. Does what this person is doing help me in my self-care? Yes, no. (laughs) Yeah, because your self-care is taking care of and it's not, I mean, I think it's sometimes it's hard for new moms to think of self-care as not selfish, but you're not being selfish. You're taking care of a baby. <laughs> like, so as long as you are taken care of, then you can take, be, you're the primary caregiver for this new little bundle of love, then you can better take care of that bundle of love. Yeah, because even though baby is out, you are still for quite a while a mom, ba- mother, baby dyad. Yeah, you are attached and as it should be. But you need to be supported throughout that and take care of yourself and find the people who are going to help take care of you. Mm, Wonderful stuff. Kate, if people want to connect with what you're doing, check out, you know, reach out to you. That's the word. Reach out. (laughs) See what you're doing. How can they do that? Um, Well, I have a website. It's www.ktpostpartumdoula.com. You can find me there. Um, I also am on Facebook at Kate Terza Doula. And I'm on Instagram at KT Postpartum Doula. And you have a great, let's remind people that you have a great Facebook community for like that community of support that you were talking about. Yes. Yes. Um, It is primarily local moms now, but we are always welcome because the overriding 
um, emotion there is of love and support. But yeah, we have a great community here and we all lift each other up and it's a great place to, as we were saying before, finding your pregnancy mentor, finding your postpartum mentor to put things out there and get support in return. Very good. And they can find that through katepostpartumdoula.com? Yes, they can find that on my site. It's also, they can search for, it's called Reality Tykes, T-Y-K-E-S, Reality Tykes is the group name. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show today and, and talking about this very important, very important and not often considered topic. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Adriana. Mighty Ones, I love to hear from you. So share with me your thoughts. And if there's a certain topic you'd like to know more about, let me know. Go to birthful.com where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages and more. And if you're pregnant and want to prepare for life with a new baby, then go to postpartumvacation.com immediately to register for my online postpartum prep course that starts May 25th. This is your last chance. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at Reverie Powerbeds. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.